Welcome to the Startup Pregnant Podcast, where we talk to creative leaders about what it means to be an entrepreneur and a parent. I'm your host, Sarah K. Peck. This podcast is sponsored by Meet Edgar, a social media scheduling tool. With Edgar, you only have to create content once, and he does the hard work for you, making your content go further. As a busy parent and an entrepreneur, I don't have 10 hours a week to do social media scheduling. Who has 10 hours a week for that? To try it out for two weeks for free, go to ed.gr slash startup pregnant and get access to a free trial. You will be in love with them as soon as you realize just exactly what Edgar does for you. This podcast is made possible by sponsors like you. Consider supporting this podcast with a monthly donation on our Patreon page. Head to patreon.com slash startup pregnant. We've got folks who we call our coffee friends who donate the equivalent of a cup of coffee each month to make this show possible. And we're backed by companies we believe in that can help make the lives of busy entrepreneurs and parents a little bit easier easier. If you want to become one of our company sponsors, head to startuppregnant.com slash podcast and get in touch. What do you do when nothing goes according to plan? For today's guest, she says that having kids knocked her sideways into an entirely different plane. I love hearing the birth stories of different moms and how they got to be parents and all the different manifestations of how it can go. And I'm really grateful that we get to interview Tamson Webster today, who tells us the challenges she faced as a new mom when everything, from the way she gave birth to her struggles with breastfeeding to even her marriage, went a different direction than she expected. Her professional bio is pretty incredible, too. She is an acclaimed keynote speaker and the executive producer of the oldest and one of the largest locally organized TED Talk events in the world at TEDx Cambridge. We start by talking about her parenting journey because, as you'll hear in the episode, I was really curious about her take on professional positioning and whether to talk about being a mom and having kids first or not to talk about it at all. In today's episode, you'll get to hear what it looks like when you want to control everything and what you do when you realize that not everything is within your control. We talk about her business as an idea strategist and a speaking coach and how she is in pursuit of that one thing, that one thread that helps make everything else make sense. And I love it when she talks about how we connect more deeply with each other when we really understand where it is we're trying to go. So in business terms, getting clarity on your value proposition, and in human terms, understanding what it is that drives you. So without further ado, let's welcome Tamson to the show. Welcome, everybody. I have Tamson Webster with me today. She's the executive producer of TEDx Cambridge. She's the founder and CEO of her company, Strategic Speaking, and she describes herself as an idea whisperer. She coaches people on their TED Talks and how to find the big idea. And out of her clients so far, she's gotten three of them promoted to the homepage of TED, which is a very coveted and prestigious spot. So she is quite the badass. Tamson, <laughs> welcome to the show. Thanks so much. I'm delighted to be here. I'm so glad to have you here. So we were introduced by our mutual friend, Jeff. And when I did all of my requisite Google stalking of your work, I realized, (laughs) wait a second, I don't know if she has kids or not. And this is the Startup Pregnant Podcast. So I 
like I fell in love with your professional side and I wanted, first of all, and I wanted to like hire you immediately for my work <laughs> and learn from you. But I was curious to know, know more. Like, can you tell us a little bit about maybe a story that isn't as well known? Can you tell us about your parenting side and your parenting journey? Sure. Well, I love my children. <laughs> <laughs> and I often will say, though apparently not in any place where you could find it online, that they challenge everything that I think I know about communication. I think a lot of it comes down to you know my relationship with my kids and me as a mom. It is foundational to who I am, but it's not necessarily something that I want to lead with. And mm. it's not because I'm in any way embarrassed about it. I'm happy to talk. I mean, I love, I love being a mom. I love talking about my kids, but there's this thing that I see that happens when that's something that's prominent is that sometimes that's the thing that people end up talking about all the time with mm. you. And so I love that the reverse has happened where someone was like, wait, do you have kids? <laughs> Can we talk about that? Yeah. Because it, I don't, I don't get to talk about them very, very much because most of the time people are more interested in something else. But my kids are, they're seven and nine. I have two little boys, Thomas and Peter, though named for saints, they are not. <laughs> um, but they are just bright and curious and wonderful and I will tell you that having them in the first place knocked me, a relentlessly pattern-driven person, relentlessly sideways. It was a huge disruption in how I thought my life was going to go, and yet they are still the thing that, you know, when I've had a hard week or I feel like I'm not doing anything else right, I can go back and say, you know what? those are two awesome little kids. Those are two great humans. They've got great personalities. I know I'm not even probably 50% responsible for that, but to be able to shape another human being or, or more specifically to help guide how they learn to see the world, not by telling them how to see the world, but by inviting them to ask questions of it and seek their own answers. That's been enormously rewarding. Also the hugs, wow. which are the best. Wow. Wow. That phrase you just said gave me the chills, like inviting mm -hmm. them to see the world and to ask questions of it. Wow. Hmm. So what do you lead with then? So earlier when you started this, you were telling the story about, and I love my children as well, and yet we don't always lead with being a parent or being a mom. What do you lead with? How do you first introduce yourself to the world or in a conversation with people? Mm -hmm. So I lead with what I hope is the problem that I can help people solve. And so when people ask me that question, I answer it a variety of different ways given the context. But ultimately, what I say is that I help people find the through line of their project's work and life. And that once you say that to somebody, it was like, well, I want to know what that is. Mm -hmm, <laughs> mm -hmm. right? You know, that's of course the cocktail party, mysterious introduction of it. And if I want to be super mysterious, I say that I help people find their red threads, which is the phrase I use to describe that through line. But ultimately I believe that we connect more deeply, more quickly with people if we understand what it is we're each trying to do. So one of the first things that I always try to find out from people is, well, what are they trying to get and what's in the way of that? And even if I'm not somebody who can help them, because that's a the kind of question I like to traffic in, I often know 
a number of people who could help with that. And even just frankly, understanding how it is that someone views the world from that perspective, like what problems are you drawn to solve, helps you understand so much about how they see the world in the first place that that's, I just find that interesting. So Mm. I typically try to lead with here's a thing that I, I help you solve. Are you, you know, so from a industry standpoint, if it's an organization, the translation of that is how can you find the real value in your value proposition? If I'm working with a speaker, it's how do you find and tell the story of your idea? If I'm working on a specific talk, it's what is the thing that makes this all make sense? What is the thing that's going to give the energy of the idea that's in here? What's going to give it power? What's going to be the thing that allows it to really ring out from the page or from the speaker? And ultimately, it really comes down to finding that thing, that thing that makes it all make sense. Mm. Mm. Wow. I love so much of that. And I'm going to put a pin in that because I want to ask you more. But before I do, I want to unravel a little bit of what you said in the beginning. You said that pregnancy and parenting really knocked you back. Yeah. Really just, and I'll confess, I had a similar experience. So can you unpack that a little bit? Where were you with your business when you first got pregnant? And tell us about that. So I'm a new entrepreneur. I didn't have a business when I first got pregnant. I thought I was a company girl, that I'd be working for organizations the rest of my life because, (laughs) you know, that's the thing. And and frankly, there's a part of me that was just scared out of my boots to figure out, well, how could I do this? Now, of course, in that perspective of, well, if I have kids, that's even scarier. As I said, I'm relentlessly pattern-driven. I know that about myself. I own it. Some people call it OCD. I'm just going to say pattern driven. (laughs) And I would say that having kids, I think I said that that knocked me sideways. And I think that's the way I like to think about it because I don't think it necessarily put me forward or put me back. It put me on an entirely different track of thinking (laughs) than I thought. Being a very planful, pattern driven person, my husband at the time, so there's more to unpack there. Mm. uh, My husband at the time and I, we weren't people who really liked kids this was always kind of this paradox of parenting for us, which is like, we don't like kids, but we like the idea of kids. And wouldn't it be too bad if we didn't have them? Because we kind of like to skip to the end of them being people, but you know, we're not so sure about this whole baby thing. (laughs) But you know, once I was like, okay, we're doing this, uh, I dove into it. Like I do most projects. I was like, okay, I'm going to figure this out. I'm going to get it all planned. And now I just, like most of us do, I think just Figured and planned it to a fairly well. I was like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do hypnobirthing, and it's gonna <laughs> be all natural. And we, you know, we researched all the things that we shouldn't, shouldn't give them in the first 24 hours after birth. I arranged all the stuff with my employer at the time that I would come back on a shifted schedule, and everything was going to be awesome until my son was breech, mm-hmm. and so he was upside down. Well, he was right side up. He was, you know, but upside down for what he was supposed to be doing coming out. But it was kind of fun because I, you know, I have two kids and I think if you have more than one kid, you realize that you, well, A, I recommend having more than one because you realize it gives you much better perspective on exactly what you do or rather don't affect where the children are concerned. Because <laughs> all of a sudden you're like, oh, they're just different. Okay. that's (laughs) All right. This wasn't me. But with my older son, because he was breached, there's this kind of wonderful thing that happened, which is that his head was right up underneath my right rib cage. And so there was this 
these moments where, I mean, I just spent a lot of my late pregnancy just kind of stroking his head, like, cause I could feel it. It was right up under my uh-huh. rib cage. <laughs> he wouldn't move, stubborn kid. <laughs> Still very stubborn. With him being breached was the beginning of all the lessons of the universe saying, Tamsin, you need to learn what you do and don't control. And so there's all sorts of other stuff that I did. I mean, I chose not to have him manually inverted or whatever the name for that is, because that sounded horrifying to me. Plus, it doesn't guarantee that it will work. And there was a risk to the baby. But it also meant that this grand plan that I had for natural birth and hypnobirth and all of this just like went flat out the window because Mm. he just didn't turn, didn't turn, didn't turn. That's where I first got into acupuncture, by the way, because we started going to acupuncture because there is a pretty good success rate with acupuncture with getting babies to turn. And it didn't turn him. But uh, what was fascinating is anytime I would go to a treatment where it was supposed to turn, like he would start to move. So I was like, okay, this is A, creepy, also B, really cool. And C, the other thing I discovered is the acupuncture just calmed me down. Mm. And so all of that ended up being good. But here I was, had all these plans. And then I was like, and then I had to have a C-section. Hmm. And I'll tell you, I I think a lot of C-section moms feel this. I've discovered this as I've discovered fellow C-section moms that we get to talk about this, but it's not something you see talked about very often. You spend a lot of time feeling like you didn't actually do the job of giving birth to your child. Hmm you know, my son was physically removed from me. Like I, and for a long time, I didn't feel like I had played a role. And I can look back on it now and and I've got a very different perspective, particularly since, and we'll get to this, I had to have another C-section mm. unexpected the second time around. But I can look back at it now and say, you know what, I, this was actually quite an achievement for me because I had spent 17 years of my life with a pretty severe panic disorder. And my last panic attack happened when I was only about a month or two pregnant with my older son, Thomas. And yet I was able to get through the whole like trauma of discovering he was breech and then having a C-section. And, you know, that's frankly a terrifying procedure for anybody, period, because this is not a moment where you're getting an epidural because you're in pain. It's we need to open you up. And so you're about to stop feeling the lower half of your body. And when that happens, like the father is not in the room. And so, and then they're setting everything up. And so here I am in this freezing cold operating room alone, like just everything in my power to not have a resurgence of panic because this was not my plan. And yet there he was. And The challenges didn't stop there because, of course, I wanted to breastfeed my child. It was one of those things where my shape and his shape did not match. And so, you know, I don't even remember. I was probably about six, eight weeks. And there's a number of different things you hear as a new parent that that strike terror. People have heard far worse things than I have about their children, I know. But the one that stuck with me was this phrase, failure to thrive. Hmm. which is an awful thing because here I am in the midst of like, I didn't even have birth to him. And they're like, and now he's failing to thrive. And I'm like, okay, clearly, (laughs) you know, now I'm just like questioning everything about my life and my choices and like, can nothing go the way that I planned? Because 
I mean, I tried everything to get breastfeeding to work. Like I, oh, it just everything. And it just didn't. And so, you know, there is this point where I had to, for the good of my child, start feeding him formula. And that was horrifying to me because Mm -hmm. I had done all the research and I absolutely agreed with and bought into and, and understood why natural breastfeeding was going to be best. I gave it beyond everything and couldn't do it. Like it just didn't work for him and me. So that was awful. And then in the middle of that, (laughs) I come back to work still trying to like pump, even though like, because at least maybe I can like, supplement with pumped milk because he couldn't get it for me. I get back to work. And while I was on maternity leave, my boss changed at work. Oh, oh yeah. So I come back and I say, great. I'm welcome back. I'm like, oh, hello. It's nice to meet you. So I just want to make sure that you're aware of and okay with this agreement that was in place before I left. And she's like, I'm aware of it and I'm not okay with it. Oh no. Oh, yes. Oh, my God. So all of a sudden it was, well, you just need to figure this out. And I'm like, uh, no, because we had based our childcare decisions and all of these things based on a shifted schedule. And she's like, well, we can do it. But if you're going to do it that way, you're working one day less a week. So we're going to dock your pay by that amount. I mean, this is a full-time salary position at a major institution here in Boston. And I was like, uh, that's not okay. And that's not what we agreed to. So that was the beginning of the end of that. And so, you know, (laughs) this was a rather traumatic first year for me being a mom. <laughs> oh my God, you're hitting all of them, right? Like oh, all God. of them there. Yeah. And, and this is a question I have on my list to ask you even later. And, and I think I'm just going to ask you now. So the thing that always strikes me again and again, when I'm speaking to people is, how do I say this delicately? Like what an asshole I was in my own mind, <laughs> because I was one of those people who, before I got pregnant. And before I started breastfeeding, I was like, well, pregnancy might be hard for some people, but it won't be for me. And breastfeeding, well, I guess people have trouble with it, but like, I'll be great at it. I remember those thoughts that I had in my head. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not, I'm not proud of that. Right. And it was later on that I kind of woke up to the fact that those were subcurrent narratives in my own like conscious reality. And then I had not the birth I was expecting and a terrible time breastfeeding. It was one of the most painful things I've ever been through. I wonder, so you in your work, you talk about like making sense of things. There's a Mm -hmm. recent blog post that you wrote and you talked about how our brains are wired to make meaning out of things, this Mm -hmm. make sense mandate. I'll link to it in the show notes so people can read and watch your post and video. And you talk about how people, like, you give them three words and they would make sense of something. And I'm wondering how that applies to our cultural, like, make sense patterning of what pregnancy is. Like, is there some reason that we are all collectively having some sort of amnesia or not listening to these stories of what's actually the truth? Do you see where I'm going with this? This is a huge question that I'm sending your way. Mm. There's a suspicious skeptical answer, which I don't believe to my mm. core, which is, you know, there, I think there's people who could see conspiracy theorists about and it's like, <laughs> well, it's for the best that we don't actually tell people what it's really like. But I think it, it's actually nefarious in a different way. And I think that 
you know, for whatever reason, I, I am not going to question why these narratives are out there about the way that you should do something or not. Mm. But I think the reason why it doesn't get talked about, and it's certainly a reason why I'm always happy to talk about it, but I, as we were saying before, I don't ever lead with it, is that I took those very normal, as it turned out, uh, I'm not even going to call them failings, very normal outcomes and mm -hmm. potentialities and took them as personal failures. Hmm. That somehow, I mean, it's ridiculous, but the thing is, is that I think when we're talking about pregnancy and motherhood, and particularly if we're talking about business and a woman who has a career and fully intends to keep that career, and that's not everybody's choice, and that's also fine, there's no allowance made for other equally likely outcomes mm. or likely enough to matter and be talked about. Take breastfeeding, for example. There's There's such a understandable emphasis on why it's beneficial for the baby and for the mom and all of those things, because there is a not insignificant part of the population that simply doesn't understand that. But there is a part of the population when that argument is made, that case is made so dramatically that there's no allowance for, but sometimes it doesn't work. Mm -hmm. uh, or sometimes it doesn't work well. And a lot of times the answer to that was, well, you just keep trying things mm -hmm. and you don't hear the stories of people who just tried everything and it didn't happen. Second time around, my second son breastfeed again. He ate like a champion. I mean, Mike Thomas, <laughs> oh my God, Thomas like would fall asleep eating and he's still like that. Like he could really not be bothered with food. So again, a good case for understanding that sometimes children just they come out a certain way. They are what like, they are. They yeah. are what they are. Thomas came out like not interested in food and and my younger son, Peter, just ate and ate and ate. And then of course, the, you know, talk about likely outcomes. And then I get one of the most unlikely outcomes that like my doctor had ever seen as I even forget the name of it, but I got a blood vessel that got inflamed that ran from my armpit through my right breast and around the nipple. <gasps> So imagine a varicose vein in your boob. Okay. And right around where happy little eater clamps on. Oh, ow. It, yeah. So ow. that was one of those things where I was like, there's just nothing I can do about that. And I couldn't even pump because it would aggravate the blood vessel, oh. right? Like, so there was nothing I could do. So I was like, all right, well, you know what? At least again, Another case for having two. Well, Michael, that first one was fine on formula. We're just going straight there this time. I think I got to maybe 14 weeks breastfeeding on one and it was six weeks on the second. And mm -hmm. then, but I've got two lovely, healthy, brilliant children. And if somehow feeding them formula damaged their intelligence or health in a certain way, I will present to you my children. <laughs> it was like, maybe that's good because I'd be scared of them if they were... <laughs> any smarter than they are. Oh, my husband and I joke about that sometimes where we just say, you know what, like something is going to knock them back a few IQ points here or there. Maybe it's us. Maybe it's something else. Like, but exactly welcome right. to the world. Right? Welcome like, to the world. <laughs> it's just sometimes it's just going to be that way. It's just, here so, we go. Hmm. Yeah. And I just, there's just not this conversation out there about what it's really like. And I mm -hmm. don't mean just the, you know, hey, it's possible that your kid's going to be breach. And now you're going to be presented with these choices. And that, you know, what I wish moms knew, and I I wish any woman knew, is that whatever you decide, if you did it with the best understanding and the best intent that you had, given the choices that you had available, 
that that's okay, Mm -hmm. that that is exactly the thing that you could do. So we can go back and say with hindsight and look on something, but if you can look at the decisions you made and say, I made the best decision I could given the circumstances that I had, I wish for every woman that that would be enough. Mm, That's so wise. I love that so much because it's so true. It's not, you're not making a decision within a perfect, you know, experience with all the information that you have, with all the scientific evidence, with, you know, an unfallible human body, right? You're, you're a unique microcosm. You are one thing and you're making decisions within a framework that's probably limited. You don't have all the information and there's a ton of time pressure. It's not like you're going to say like, hold please on the birth and then like say, I'll get back to you once I've researched for three weeks. Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) No, it's like, actually it's coming now, right? (laughs) And that's just how it happens. And so the same thing happened with my, well, not the same thing, a different set of unexpected outcomes happened. So not just breastfeeding, but then if you have one C-section, then you have a whole new set of judgments and options and things that put in front of you. Do you do a VBAC? Do you not do a VBAC? And, you know, like, and there's people on both sides that just look at you as if you are the devil herself, if whatever choice, like if you do a VBAC, well, but then you could damage, you know, there's such a high risk of X, Y, and Z. And then if you don't like, Oh, somehow like you're taking the easy way out. I'm like, you go through a C-section and you tell me if that was easy because hello, major abdominal surgery. It sounds so hard. Like the recovery from that is just brutal. From what I've heard, I haven't experienced that. And maybe I will, maybe I won't. Who knows, right? And I can't tell you because I, you know, I only ever had C-sections and it's just, it's a whole different thing. You can't lift anything heavier than your baby for three months, Mm. like four months. Like Mm. you can't carry anything because you've had major abdominal surgery. Like that's, you know. We won't go into details, but it's major abdominal surgery. And by and large, I felt good and felt healthy when I was pregnant and recovered fairly well from the C-sections. Yeah, but I didn't expect to have the second one when I did. And so I was going in for, I think it was at 39 weeks and it was scheduled for the next week. I go in for that weekly appointment because I was advanced maternal age, which is ridiculous. It's 37. Come on. Right. No, you turn uh, 35 and there's like, it flips a switch and all of a sudden, like, oh, right, boy. Yeah, oh boy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. We are going to watch you. And I'm glad that they did. Cause I went in and you know, that normal, like sit you down, take the blood pressure. And they were like, Oh, and I'm like, what do you mean? Oh, I said, well, your blood pressure is 160 over 120. Guess what? You're having this baby today. Hmm. Cause that's preeclamptic. Who knew? So if you have preeclampsia, that can kill you. It can kill the baby. And the only cure for it is to deliver the baby. And I will tell you, I never regretted a morning snack more in my life than that day because they won't do major abdominal surgery on you if you've eaten in the last 12 hours. So of course, I'd had a snack right before I went to the doctor because I was like, I'm pregnant. I get hungry all the time. And then when they said, so when did you last eat? I was like, oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) So my husband had no idea that we were having a baby that day. He'd gone to work because I was just going to my normal checkup and everything was fine. Like this baby wasn't breached. It was going to be, you know, as far as C-sections go, pretty straightforward. And I call and I'm like, "Um, so (laughs) can you come? Because we're going to, we're going to have this baby now. Because it's today. Wow. Because it's today. Yeah. And I'll tell you, the recovery from that was worse than anything else because when you... When you have preeclampsia, they pump you full of magnesium 
because that's an anti-seizure medication because that's usually what kills the mom afterwards is that you're really susceptible to seizures. And magnesium was awful. Like I couldn't focus. I couldn't, it was just, it was the worst. I just could not wait to not have magnesium in my system. So, you know, I don't have these like really like beautiful birth stories, <laughs> but I got two beautiful boys out of it. So mm. that piece is worth it. But it's funny because whenever any you know, woman comes to me, because when people do realize I have kids and I'm an entrepreneur and whatever, they're like, well, how do you do it? And I was like, well, first of all, you should know that of all the things that you think are having it all, like marriage, career, kids, whatever, like one of those broke for me. And that was my marriage at the time. You know, that broke. It absolutely broke. And it's not because of the kids. It's much more complicated than that. But I think that we get so excited about encouraging people to have kids or to start a business or just to do what they want in their career, whatever that might be, that I think we're afraid sometimes to say, these are the good things. But I need to tell you what it was like for me as well, because I don't know, as you and I have already been talking about, that there's there's enough transparency about the experience that is not the one that is sold to us. Mm -hmm. Especially with the partnership. Can you talk more about that? Yeah. I mean, the, the partnership. So the, my kid's dad is a wonderful man. We have a very successful co-parenting relationship now. Very proud of that. What having kids exposed was the nature of our relationship. And what I mean by that was what it really exposed was that we were two cohabitating partners and roommates in a lot of ways. And it wasn't as obvious with my first son, though it became obvious because, oh, I didn't even tell you this, like (laughs) 10 months after the birth of my first son, I was finally diagnosed with postpartum depression, which had gone undiagnosed for a really long time. And I'm the one that figured it out. And I have to tell you that I, I carried bitterness about that for a really long time. And this is not in any way a judgment of my husband at the time, but our relationship had been so transactional for so long that with this kind of sharing of responsibilities and I do this and you do that, that when I had these feelings of just complete overwhelm and complete incompetence, that there was no way for the relationship to handle that because all of a sudden I was letting, I was breaking my part of the deal. Mm. And, you know, and a lot of times the response I was getting was, well, this is just, you know, it's just normal. Like you're, you're really driven controlling person. That's not the words. Pattern mapping. Pattern driven. Let's go back to that. And this is just, maybe your expectations were too high was, you know, a lot of what I heard. And I was like, no, I think there's something wrong with Mm -hmm. me. And not just, I'm like, it's just cannot be normal for me to cry every day. Like Mm -hmm. that can't be normal. Not 10 months in, like that's not okay. And were you still at that job at the time? Had you left? Uh, we're still in the process of getting out of that job. Yeah. 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 Okay. Still in the process of getting out of that job. But eventually did. And you know, so the thing that broke us apart is the thing that makes us such good co-parents now. It was just that everything was fine, you know, and not in the mm. good way. Mm-hmm. And everything was just fine. Like he was a caring, loving, wonderful man that once we had kids his entire life as he wanted, and I wanted to honor that, was shaped by his identity was about around being a father. And he wanted to do such a good job about that. And in his own way, wanting to help me, he took over 
all of those responsibilities to the point where I didn't have anything to do, which made me feel even more incompetent. Mm. Not from his intent was so good. And we've talked a lot about this in the in the time since. His intent was good. The execution of it revealed such a core lack of understanding about how I as a person worked. Because I'm the kind of person that if you take responsibility from me, I'm going to say, well, okay, I'm going to go do something else. But if you challenge me just enough, then I'm going to vault it. Again, the intent to just, well, let me just take this easier. I'll take over this. I'll take over this. I'll take over feedings. I'll take over cooking. I'll take over shopping for the house. I'll take over the finances. I'll take over all of this. Left me, as I sometimes said in the days, you know, in the months where it was clear after my second son was born that we weren't going to make it, that I kind of felt like, you know, those announcements for those of us old enough to remember soap operas when they're like today, <laughs> the part of, you know. Erica will be played by, you know, and I felt like that. It was kind of like, I was like, and today playing the role of mom is, oh, this person we found. And I know now that that, that was never the intent. That certainly wasn't the feeling. That wasn't the feeling like that I was irreplaceable, but it was, like I said, that having kids revealed the nature of the partnership. And so if there are cracks, it's going to widen them. And if there are things to build on, it's going to strengthen those. There's going to be challenges, but either way, it will expose what you have because you've got no defenses left. And so ultimately I made the decision to leave and to move out. I bear full responsibility for that. You know, if I look at the things that broke, I broke it. I literally said to myself, I do not know how I survive as the person I want to be without changing something drastic here. And so that's what I did. We share custody, physical custody, all of that, because I I decided to leave. I disrupted the relationship. I made the choice to take myself out of the house because I didn't want to add any more disruption to their life. I didn't want to say, oh, guess what? You know, this marriage you thought you were going to have forever, like I'm breaking it up and I'm taking the kids. That didn't feel fair to me either. I was also trying to transition into a different job and had just transitioned into a different job. And so like, it didn't seem fair to me to add that piece either. So, you know, I think the thing that, as I said before, what was the nature of our relationship that didn't work as a romantic marriage has been a very good basis for co-parenting since then, because it is very respectful and we do have our kids' needs front and center. We have always agreed that there is no, no bad mouthing of the other parent in front mm-hmm. of the kids. The kids are never put in the center. That has been something we've always said. So, you know, I'm over there two, three times a week. Like I usually have two meals there a week. You know, they spend every other weekend with me. We find times to have more dedicated where it's just like mom and boys time. And since I've gotten remarried, now they have a stepbrother and a stepfather and, you know, we've got a blended family. So my, my second and last husband, Mm. um, this was his second marriage as well. And so it's been a very interesting evolution of this whole idea of there are the things that you can control and things that you can't and what choices do you make based on what deep down you know you need in order to be the best parent you can be. Because it probably would shock and horrify some people to hear, but I am a much, much better mom 
as someone who is only with them part-time, then I know I would be if I were there all the time. Because when I am with them now, that's my only time with them. So it takes a lot for me to be willing to do anything else simultaneously. So work stops when I'm with them. Like the weekends that I have them, I set up people's expectations for what will and won't get done, you know, based on that. I set up my coaching schedule for TEDx Cambridge knowing when when my weekends are with them because that's my only time. And I know how I'm wired. If I were with them all the time, I would find ways to justify myself while I'm present, even if I'm here working. And it's just not the same. And it doesn't mean that it doesn't work for some people. I'm truly not saying that. But for me, it has ended up being, I think, as painful and as horrible as a process it is. I wouldn't wish divorce on anybody. I really wouldn't. No matter how strong the reasons are for it, it is it's harder than anything that I've ever done. But the outcome of it has been the best thing not just for me, but for me as a mom to my kids. It really has made me a better mom because in some ways, my husband now and I, Tom and I now talk about like when we, when we got together, we broke all the plates and by breaking all those plates, it really freed something in me that basically said, well, if I can do that, then I don't know what else I can't do. Like, because if I've gotten through this far and I've been willing to make this, this horrible hard and certain ways self-serving decision in order to survive so that I could just, so that I could be a mom to my kids, then I think that is absolutely what has been behind this belief that I finally had to say, yes, I can do this. I can start my own business. I can go out on my own. Because once you've been something that it, through a series of things, (laughs) as we've talked about, Mm -hmm. that are so defying of what you thought would happen, but also what you thought you could handle. It resets your horizon higher, broader, better. And you start to see that there are things beyond what you could see. It's like, if you're only ever standing at sea level, you have no idea what it looks like even halfway up the mountain. Yeah. Yeah. So sometimes you have to break some plates. Oh, Tamson, I like, yes, <laughs> the, it just like metaphorically and literally, it just cracks you open, right? It, this thing and whether it's the act of just getting pregnant, right? Which can just break some people open and doesn't work for everyone or the experience of pregnancy or the experience of childbirth or the experience of parenting or the kind of havoc that happens because it really just, it really breaks open a lot of things in all facets of your life. But what you talk about in terms of resilience and almost in recreation, because one of the things that you're shattering is your ideas of yourself. Mm -hmm. Like it's not just you, but it's also just cracking open what you think to be possible and what you think to be true. I'm really curious how that then played a role in your journey to becoming an entrepreneur, because you Mm. said you came to entrepreneurship later. How did that set the stage for you jumping into running your own company? Probably in ways I haven't even realized, but starting even with the issues about my job when I first got pregnant. So saying, okay, I'm not willing to stand for this. Like I'm going to fight for what 
the arrangement was. And because that was a promise that was made Mm -hmm. and I'm going to fight for that to going to a new place. And then that kind of said, well, all right, well now I had this new piece of identity that says, well, I'm somebody who fights for what I think is is valuable. And that worked well for me for the the next company where I was working because it allowed me to say, all right, to be more vocal about my perspective and the value I thought I could bring. That ended up in me, you know, not only getting promoted, but eventually being, you know, granted the the opportunity to build out a whole new practice at this this advertising agency where I worked. But it also allowed me when leadership changed there again, that's a running theme to say, and for all good reasons, when they changed leadership, they said, okay, well, we're the organization acquired another one. And so it got a lot larger. And so they needed to draw the boxes around people more finely Hmm. for me to say, that's not my box. I don't want that. And to see an opportunity with yet another company, it did take me a while to determine this was the right thing with another company to say, okay, that looks like what I want to do. And I said to the person who ran it, like they came in to do training while I was still at my previous job. And after the first day of training, I went up to this person who became my future boss and said, this is my dream job. How do I get it? And six months later, I had it. And it was to help people structure their their messages. Because from a marketing and branding standpoint, that was the piece of the job I had always loved. I've been in marketing and branding for 20 years. But what I really loved was figuring out the idea in the first place. And depending on my role, that was anywhere from you know 10% to 60%, not even. It was never majority of my time. 10% to 25% of my job. And so this job that I had for a few years was like, it was now 90% of my job and it was awesome. Hmm. But then it came to a point where, you know, the company was in a position of growth and there was, there was directions that they wanted to go. And in a lot of ways, the person who could provide the content for those directions. So it was a training and consulting company. And I was the one that had the intellectual property and the content that was going to significantly shape where they went the person who owned the company really wasn't interested in sharing his company. And that's his right. Like he he didn't have an image of his mind of any kind of partnership or of somebody who would retain any of the intellectual property developed at the company. That's just not how he wanted to do it. And so it was at that point where I said, well, if this was good enough to build that company on, maybe it's good enough to build my own on. And with the enormous support of my second and last husband, he, he always says to me, I see your quality. And that's what he said. He's like, I, I know that you can do this. I know that you can, because I've seen you do it over and over and over again. And so I think in a lot of ways, you know, <laughs> I just like pregnancy can expose the true nature of a relationship. I think one partner deciding go into entrepreneurship exposes the nature of a relationship as well. A thousand percent. Yeah. Oh my God. (laughs) And so here now I had a partner that said, you know, and I kept saying like, well, what if I don't make any money? And what if we don't have any bills? And he was just like, we'll figure it out. We will figure it out because we know how to lift each other up. And that's what it's been ever since. So is it possible I could have done this without him? Sure. But would I ever want to? No. And would it, would I be as fulfilled and as successful in it as I am, absolutely not. And and to that, you know, he gets all my love and all that credit because we have these moments, I think all of us, women or not, that where we're just not sure. Yeah. <laughs> and to have somebody else who says, I am, I'm sure. 
I'm sure about you. I don't know what it's going to look like. I don't know how it's going to work. I'm sure there's going to be things that don't work out, but I'm sure about you and I'm sure about us. Any person, any woman, any person, any partner, any entrepreneur is so lucky to have somebody like that. And I know I am. Now, I don't think it's the hormones, but you're making me cry. (laughs) (laughs) That's so true, right? Mm. Just having, whether it's in a marriage or partnership or even like a co-founder relationship or with your best girlfriends or just having like other humans, right? Like we're not meant to be alone. They were complicated and messy and we break open literally to make other humans, right? (laughs) Like there's a metaphor in there somewhere. Yep. Oh, Tamsin, I feel like now we've laid the groundwork for me to want to go and spend 12 more hours asking you questions (laughs) about all of these things. But in the interest of being entrepreneurs, being parents, and for all of the listeners of the podcast, I'm going to head to our closing, which is where I do a rapid fire set of questions to close our episode. So all right. you ready? Yes. Okay. Let's, I'm going to start, it. I'm going to start with entrepreneurship and then we're okay. going to ask the same questions about parenting. Okay. Entrepreneurship. What is the best part about it for you? Every decision is mine, which is also the worst part about it. I was but- just <laughs> What's the worst part about entrepreneurship? Uh, Every decision is mine. It really is. It's two sides of the same coin. But I had someone say to me once that if you're the type of person who always works harder for yourself than you ever have for any other boss, then you will always be fine as an entrepreneur. And when she told me that, I said, I wish someone had told me that 10 years earlier because I I can say to myself in hindsight, you know, that means 10 years earlier, I think I would have, would have been willing. I'm glad I waited as long as I did to become an entrepreneur because relentlessly pattern driven as I am, it meant that I, I felt like all the pieces that needed to be strong about what I did and how I did it and who I was and my faith in myself and my network and my platform and all the business lessons that I had learned were in place. But it really comes down to, you know, the best part is that I can't get mad about it. You know, like anything I want to do, I can do it. The worst part is I can't get mad at my boss. Or I do. I get mad at her all the time. But she works pretty hard. She does work pretty hard. She's also not very kind to me sometimes. But at the same time, it's enormously rewarding. The real, the, the kind of the shadow bestness there is that to know that all the decisions are yours back to what we were saying before, to be able to pay off and fulfill someone else's expectation where, you know, Tom would say to me, well, I'm sure to kind of go, Hey, you were right. That was, I mean, I know you were right. Cause you know, you're right. Mm. But to be able to see that and say, Hey, you know, I did this, like, look, look at this thing. And, you know, back to having a wonderful partner, there are times when you need that reflected back on you because there are always going to be these super low moments when you're an entrepreneur where you're just convinced that you're not doing a good job and everything sucks and you suck and it's terrible. And so someone goes, okay, no, really, it's not. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's help. It's helpful. Hmm. What surprised you the most about entrepreneurship? I've been most surprised by how well it worked. And I I don't want that to sound like awful or being like, Hey, I figured that out, but I didn't expect to be successful. Hmm. I had a friend who, you know, there's these two women who I had conversations with in the week before I quit my job. And I give them equal credit because one of them was like, what the hell are you doing? Like, why don't, you know, she's like, you have everything that somebody would dream of from a situation standpoint, financially and all that to go out on your own because we live in an apartment. We don't own any cars. There's no education debt. My kid's education is taken care of. 
She was like, so what's holding you back? And I'm like, I don't know. I had this other friend who asked me this really important question. I think it's a critical one for entrepreneurs. She said, everybody asks all the time, well, what if I fail? What if I fail? She's like, Tamsin, you need to ask that question. What if you succeed? And then I was like, oh, that's a good point. And that really that those kind of two things where she was like, well, what if it works? Like, what if that succeeds? Really opened my mind to the possibility that it could <laughs> and say, oh, well, if it succeeds, then I get to be doing the thing that I love most in the world. I get to look at a thing that I've built that I'm proud of. I get to help people mm. find the thing that makes them feel this way. And man, how can I leave that? How can I leave the possibility of that on the table? And it turns out I couldn't. Oh, wow. Okay. What do you wish other people knew or understood about entrepreneurship? Well, to that, I'll go back to what that other friend said to me, which was, if you work harder for yourself than you do for anybody else, that's all, that's really all you need to know. Mm-hmm. She would went on to say, and her name's Carrie Wilkerson. So she's a lovely person. She wrote The Barefoot Executive. She's an author and speaker now. But she said, you know, Tibbs, it's the people who struggle with entrepreneurship are the folks that are like, well, I'll get up at 11 and I'll hang out. Maybe I'll go to my spin class today, whatever. She said, basically, like if the people who would get fired for how they act as an entrepreneur are the people who will never be successful as an entrepreneur. But it's like, if you would get promoted for how you conduct your day alone, working at home as an entrepreneur, you're fine. I think that's a really important mindset for people to understand is that an idea isn't enough. It never is. But do you have the temperament to work for it? And I don't mean hustle and work in crazy hours because I don't like because of my situation with my kids, like I can't put in more than about 40 hours a week, but I've been able to be successful there because it's forced this level of focus that in a lot of ways I always had, but now it's motivated because now it's, there's always something for me to do. There's mm-hmm. like, there's never, there's never a time where I'm like, well, I could just take the afternoon off. I mean, if I do make that choice, that's a conscious choice about how does that work get done some other time? And if that's not the way you think, it doesn't mean that you can't be successful, but if you do think that way, then have no concerns that you will be successful because you've got that willingness to work and Mm -hmm. you've got that willingness to, to pursue an idea and give it everything that you can give it. And that doesn't mean everything that is possible to be given. It comes back to that idea I was saying before of like, you know, making the best decision that you have given the resources you have. It's the same thing. Give what makes sense that keeps everything in balance. And I don't mean work-life balance. I mean, the needs of everything are in balance. Your needs are in balance with the business and that's in balance with your need as a partner in a relationship. And that's in balance with, with your kids' needs. Right. Just make sure that right. nobody's taking or giving more there, that it's balanced. Hmm. Oh, that's so well said. Okay, so we switched to parenting. Same four questions, but we're going to go over to the parenting and pregnancy side, which mm-hmm. is, what is the best part for you about parenting? Those little moments where you see the people they're becoming and how they get there. And what I mean by that is there's all these times as a parent where like you have to correct their behavior and you have to teach them a lesson and then, you know, you get the crying and the shouting and the whining and the yelling and whatever. Hmm. But then when a couple of days later, without any prompting, 
they've acted on that and you see that they've incorporated it and they've thought about it and they figured out their way to do it. Those are those moments where you're like, man, what a great kid, <laughs> you know, and not because I had anything to do with it. Just, I love seeing how they do it. Like, because they're making a choice about what they integrate and how, and there's a poem by Khalil Gibran, which I came to know from the the vocal group, Sweet Honey in the Rock that goes, probably going to get it wrong, but essentially your children don't belong to you. They come through you. And I just love that idea. And it's something that's always guided my parenting is that they, they are not from me. They come through me and therefore they don't owe me anything because they are people in and of themselves. And to see those people, you know, their personhood take shape is the best thing it's just the best thing. Mm-hmm. And also those little moments where they slip their, their hand into yours, which is still awesome. Oh, oh, yeah. My little one is like, no, I'll do it myself. And he doesn't hold my hand. I'm like, what? You're one. Like, <laughs> hold my hand. Yeah. Okay. Yep. <laughs> What's the worst part? Be as honest as you'd like to be, but the worst part about parenting mm-hmm. for you. Well, the worst part is associated with being a part-time parent where, you know, the worst part is never having a good answer for why I have to leave. You know, there are more nights than I would like to count where one or the other of them says, why can't you stay here tonight? And I don't have a good answer for that. That's the worst. I mean, there's just, I think about that decision every day and it's six years old now. And it doesn't mean that I question it, but I think about it and there's something that brings it up every day. What surprised you the most about parenting? Probably a theme from earlier in the conversation made clear by having a second child that I didn't have as much effect as I thought I did, mm-hmm. which was which was actually a relief because when you have your first child, you are sure that everything you're doing is, you know, like going to kill them or is, you know, going to be like some kind of saint of a mother or whatever. And just like, it, they're going to be perfect. And then the second one comes and you're like, mm, okay. It just, it gave me a lot more perspective on the first one. And and so I think the thing that's been so surprising is just to see the degree to which you do and don't have an effect on them. So much of who they are is just who they are. And they are a creature almost fully formed, I think. And the best you can do is kind of say, give them nudges one direction to another. And even then they may not decide to do what you're suggesting. It's just been really surprising to see how fully formed they really already are. Mm-hmm. And what do you wish that more people knew about parenting? I think I said this before too, that as long as your intent is good and that you are doing the best that you can and the circumstances that you have, you are being, you are being the best parent you could be. And you can't judge it by anybody else. You can't judge it by what you could do later or what you would have done or whatever. You just had to say, was I trying to do the right thing? And did I do the best I could given the situation? Allow that to be the best because it is. So wise. So wise. Tamsin, thank you so much for joining me and for sharing all of these stories. And I'm so grateful that you are able to be so candid about your experience and tell us the pregnancy and the partnerships and the journeys throughout it all. It means so much to me. And I know that it means so much to people listening because one of the things I think people are craving is just to be able to see themselves in somebody else's story. Mm. And 
and being able to hear your story and tell just another sliver, another sliver Mm. of humanity is just, it really means a lot to me. So thank you so much for taking the time. Well, thank you so much. I, I don't know if it would have helped me at the time. I hope it would. I certainly didn't hear anybody telling stories like this, you know, and I don't, maybe they were, and I just wasn't listening, but I think what you're doing is so important because motherhood, entrepreneurship, partnership, there is no one right way and no two people are alike. So therefore there should be no two forms of parenting or partnership or entrepreneurship that are alike. So the more potential narratives people see, I think the more they have permission to tell and own the one that's theirs. A thousand percent. That's one of my goals is like, we can listen to these stories and we can say, oh, wow, I see myself in that person. And then we can listen to another story and be like, huh, I never knew that was something that people went through, right? Like we don't have to own them all, but we can just know that they're there. And like, and there's just such, I don't know, generosity and community and compassion that comes from listening and being like, oh, wow, right? Here's another, here's another experience. So where, and in the show notes, what I want to do, I want to link up, everybody just got to hear the personal side, but I'm going to link up all of the awesome business resources because you're probably like me and want to stalk everything she does because she's amazing. (laughs) And she has so many great resources. I'll link some of them up in the show notes for, now you can go listen to some of her TEDx speakers and that podcast that you did with the speaker. What is the name of it? Speaker show, the speaker bureau, the speaker speaker lab, speaker Speaker lab. lab. Yes. The speaker lab. Those were so great. So I'll link those up so people can listen to more, more about your work and what you do. Now, where should people go to find you and what's next for you? Well, I'm going to borrow from my friend, Mitch Joel, and say the easiest thing to do is just Google me. I'm the only (laughs) Tamsin Webster on earth, which is nice. I hated my name growing up, but it turns out it's useful now. But also TamsinWebster.com. That'll direct you to anywhere else you're going. But if you're you're more in the spirit of social networks, you can find me on YouTube and LinkedIn and Facebook as Tamsin Webster and on Twitter as Tamadeer, T-A-M-A-D-E-A-R. Perfect. Thanks. Do us a favor and give us a review and a rating in iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. We are a brand new show and your ratings and reviews help tremendously in getting the word out. And please hit subscribe. If you want to tell your friends about it, share our website, startuppregnant.com. I also want to give a huge thank you and shout out to our show sponsors, Aeroflow Breast Pumps, Taskerly, Meet Edgar, Hippo Give, Fast Rope Labs, and Think Clearly. You guys made this show possible. One of the reasons this podcast exists in the first place is because we put out a call for sponsorships and we were overwhelmed by the response that we got. If you want to back us, head to patreon.com slash startup pregnant and become a sponsor. We have folks who contribute a few dollars a month to much more, and we would love to have your support. Our next goal is to back all of season two. So if you like what you hear and you like the stories that we're sharing and you think it's important that we build this, please, please leave a review on iTunes, hit subscribe, head over to our Patreon page. Basically, tell us that you want more of this and we will keep doing it. There are also all sorts of fun prizes and things you can get for backing at various levels of sponsorship. So if that's your jam, please do so and tell your friends about the show. That's all for today. Thank you so much for listening, and I will see you on the next episode.